0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We now take our Bibles and read together three passages from the Word of our God. The first is 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The second is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And then we turn to 1 Peter, chapter 3. We turn first to 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. In chapter 6, Solomon, at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, has confessed the sins of the people of Israel. It's a confession that we make also, and thereafter, Solomon acts according to what the Holy Spirit's recorded for us in Second Chronicles chapter 7. The action described in this portion of Scripture reassured the people of Israel assembled at the temple of the forgiveness of their sins. I read in chapter 7, the verses 1 to 3, the following. When Solomon finished praying... The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good. His love endures forever. This same man, Solomon, at another occasion gathered the people around him and spoke the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I read with you the verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 6. As Solomon speaks these words to the people of Israel, we can in the eye of our mind, see the temple in the background. It says Solomon to the people, chapter 3, verse 16, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of justice... Wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both, as one dies so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal was down into the earth? And so I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that's his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Again, I looked and saw the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declare that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, chasing after the winds. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. The apostle Peter works with Old Testament scripture as revealed also in Second Chronicles seven and Ecclesiastes chapter three, in that which he writes in his first letter one Peter chapter three I read with you the verses eight to the end of the chapter. finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insults, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For... Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right... You are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set Christ apart as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for, the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Brothers and sisters, I proclaim to you this morning the word of our God as we can read from Chronicles, Ecclesiastes, and Peter. I ask your attention in particular for the word of the Lord as it comes to us in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17, the first part of the verse. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, had his feet on the ground. Solomon knew life as it really was, knew life as the people of his city experienced it. Life can be so discouraging especially if one is on the receiving end of injustice. We sang together a portion from Psalm 73, the psalm that was sung in Israel at the same time as Solomon was king. It's a psalm in which the people of Israel express again their concern, their frustration, how it is that the wicked seem to prosper and their victims, the godly have it hard. That's the item congregation that Solomon discusses with his people and then shows the people the way forward. His answer is the words of our text, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. And so this morning I proclaim to you the word of our God, I use this theme God will bring to judgments, both the righteous and the wicked. And in developing that theme, I ask your attention for three points. First is the reality as the eye sees it. In the second place, the reality as faith believes it. And finally, the reality as Christ achieved it. The words of our text congregation seem so simple. So, straightforward, easy to say. God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. Yet, what do you think? Is that what you experience? What's the reality as the eye sees it? The reality congregation as the eye sees it is caught in what Solomon says in verse 16 and verses 18 and following. What's he say? In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 16... The Lord God had given instruction that Israel should appoint judges, elders. People who had to execute justice in the land and do so in a certain way. And I read, Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 18 says, God appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow justice and justice alone, that you may live and possess the lands the Lord your God is giving you. That's the instruction of God to Israel. In congregation, we would expect that the people of God would execute that kind of justice. Surely if there's any place in the world where you can find justice, it needs to be amongst God's people. And then we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 of how Samuel grew old and appointed his sons as judges in Israel. And then the Holy Spirit adds... But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Injustice amongst the people of God. Solomon was once a young man. And Solomon knew quite well how the justice system of his time operated. He had a sister named Tamar. And he had a brother named Amnon. And brother Amnon raped sister Tamar. Did Solomon see justice done to his sister? Father David was the king, the chief administrator of justice in Israel. And this chief administrator of justice did not execute justice. Amnon though guilty of rape, was allowed to live. And then it's true that after some time, Brother Absalom administered justice to say and killed Amnon, But he had no permission from God to do so. He took justice in his own hands, and so was himself guilty of murder. And what happened? The chief administrator of justice did not execute justice there either. You see, Solomon saw it himself, congregation. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Was it better now that Solomon was king? I was a wise administrator of justice. Think of the episode of the two ladies. The one with a living child, the other with a dead child. That was Solomon. Yet throughout his land were so many other judges. And did they administer justice just the way it should be? Especially amongst the people of God? Make no mistake, congregation. Those judges throughout the land were themselves sinful people. And as I indicated earlier, the Song of Asaph, Psalm 73 was sung in Solomon's time. Asaph lived in David's day. Solomon built this temple. And in the temple, these sons of Asaph had to sing. And they did. And they sang also the words of Psalm 73, how it was that there is injustice in the lands, how it is that the wicked prosper. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Whatever they want, it's what they get. They say, how can God know? The Most High doesn't know what we're doing. That's what the wicked are like, always carefree, and they increase in wealth. Justice in the lands. And so Solomon gathers the people together. And he brings up this reality that they themselves experience. How do you handle this injustice? What do you do about it? Solomon gives his answer. It's verse 17. He says, God will bring to judge in both the righteous and the wicked. After all, chapter 3, verse 1, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under sun, a time for justice also, so people be patient. But... This isn't what the eye sees. Now this is an instruction that people need, is what Solomon testifies to in the verses 18 and following of our chapter. What does the eye see? Well, the eye sees that man's fate, verse 19, is like that of the animal's same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. That person who committed wickedness, what happens to him? He lives on and on, and finally in good old age, he dies, goes away with all flesh. Where's the justice of that? And he is no more. And the victim of his oppression lives on and on too, perhaps to a ripe old age and all the while has to live with the memories of what happened and then he dies. Where's the justice of that? Both die. As one dies, so dies the other. There's no advantage that people have over animals. All go, verse 20, to the same place animals and people, the righteous and the wicked, the wrongdoers and the victims of the wrong, they all go to the same place, they all come from dust, and they all return to dust. Who knows? If the spirit of man rises upward and the spirit of an animal goes down into the earth, what's the eye? See? The eye sees that people live and people die There is no justice. And that's why Solomon says in verse 22, Look, there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work. Whether you've done wrong or are the victim of wrong, you can't set it straight. You best just make the most of it for that is man's lot. Who can see what's going to come after him? And Solomon carries on and he catches once more what's in the mind of the people of Jerusalem gathered around him to hear him talk. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that's taking place under the sun. So Solomon, I saw the tears of the oppressed. People of Jerusalem, you can see it on their faces, they've been hard done by, but they have no comforter because power is on the side of their oppressor. Isn't that the reality as we see it? And so Solomon catches the thoughts of the people. Chapter 4, verse 2, I declare that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive because those living who are still alive have the memories of being hard done by. Better to be dead. Out of this life with its crookedness and its evil. But he says better than both is he who's not yet been, never seen any evil, never done any evil, never felt any evil. That's better still. And as to what lies ahead, verse 4, I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor exactly because the one envies the other, I want what you have. And so take advantage of the weaker neighbor produces more pain, more injustice. It's also unfair. It leads to being discouraged, to pain, cynicism. This is the people of Israel So much wrong happening. How, oh how, is it possible? And again, to say it with the words of Psalm 73, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I wash my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued, been punished every morning. Let me just do as the evildoers do and who really cares? That was the sentiment in the streets of Solomon's day. And it's a sentiment very much alive to date still. How is it possible that God lets evil happen? That God lets evil happen to me? It's the reality. as the eye sees it. It brings us to our second point. What then is the reality as faith believes it? What Solomon say to the people? Our text, verse 17, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. And notice, congregation, Solomon does not say when God's going to do it. And Solomon doesn't say how God's going to do it, because Solomon understands, now, that, that's God's business. It's enough, he says, to the people for you to know the fact that God's going to do it. Never mind the when, never mind the how, believe the fact God will bring to judge you in both the righteous and the wicked. How does Solomon know that? Where does he get this from? Well, congregation, consider for a moment, where does injustice come from? Was there any injustice in paradise? We understand the answer is no. There was in paradise no injustice at all. Injustice, wickedness comes as a result of the fall into sin. In fact, that's what God declared after the fall into sin. He spoke to Adam and to Eve. And he spoke in terms of cursed is the ground because of you. He spoke in terms of painful toil. He spoke in terms of tears and sweats until you return to dust. And it's also what Adam and Eve themselves experienced. Genesis chapter 4, they have two sons. The one takes the other into the fields and strikes him and kills him. And what happens next? Why the victim of the wrong is laying there on the ground and he's dead. And the perpetrator of the wrong is over there walking and he's quite healthy. He lives, and he keeps on living. But, God had said to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpents. And a little something of that is what God expressed to Cain when the Lord God voiced his curse over Cain said, God to Cain, you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. While you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then I read, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Cain left And that's to say that the Lord God sent Cain away. Away from God, away from the source of life, away from the source of blessing, in order to receive receive simply God's curse, God's heavy hand. And their congregation is something of the justice of God on the evildoer. And is this, beloved, not what all people deserve? Is this not what you and I deserve also? You see, we can think of ourselves in terms of being victims of wrong, and undoubtedly in some way we all are. Yet we also need to be fair and recognize that each of us is also the perpetrator of wrong, so that the other is the victim of our wrongdoing. Who of us would dare to say that in our marriages, we're always in the right, and always treat the spouse just the way God wants us to, who of us would dare to say that we as parents are always in the right and treat our children always and only just as God wants us to? And who of us as teenagers, as children, would dare to say that we're always in the rights and always approach our parents just the way God wants us to? not to say anything of how we treat our fellow teenagers. Solomon knew life. He knew good and well that everyone deserves the judgment of God. All ought to be rejected by God, cursed as was Cain, simply because we're all depraved. And that doesn't happen. And why does it not happen? Because Solomon, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, had built that temple in Jerusalem. And in that temple, the sacrifices continued to smoke. And what were the sacrifices all about? Sinners coming to the temple with a lamb. I'm a sinner and ought to die, but the Lamb dies in my place, and the result is that I get to live. There's the gospel of substitution, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why I don't perish. God's mercy. Though I deserve God's justice, And so there is place for God's people only to think in terms of humility, thankfulness, and never to think in terms of self-pity, I've been hard done by, I'm the victim of wrong. And what about the wrongdoer? Does he get away with it then? Well, no. That's Solomon's insistence in our text. God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. God will do it. He'll not get away with it because it's the time for everything And then Solomon can say, Who knows? Chapter 3, verse 21. Who knows that the spirit of man rises up when the spirit of an animal goes down? Who knows what becomes of one when one dies? Solomon says, But I do know. Chapter 12, verse 7. Solomon's emphatic, Those who die do not simply perish, but they appear before God. It's also the sentiment of Psalm 73. Those who die in the Lord appear before God to live with God forever. And those who do not die in faith, they also appear before God and then receive judgment. You see, God is a God of justice. But everything in its time That's what faith believes. And that brings us to our last point, the reality as Christ achieved it. What did Christ do? Why, he's the Lamb. Fulfills the sacrifices of the temple of Solomon's day. Christ went to the cross in place of so many sinners who should go to the cross on account of their own sins. He went to the cross, in the words of Peter, the righteous for the unrighteous. Who's the unrighteous? Well, if Christ goes to the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, Then the word unrighteous in 1 Peter 3 does not describe the totality of mankind because Christ didn't die for everybody. But the word unrighteous in 1 Peter 3 describes those who believe. Yes, they're unrighteous of themselves because they've done wrong to their neighbor. They've oppressed their neighbor. But Christ has died for them. And so these people for whom Christ has died have, have life. They have it abundantly. They shall not experience the heavy hand of God, despite the wrongs they've done. And that's equally true for the victims of injustice. Victims? are themselves also perpetrators of injustice in another occasion. All who believe in Jesus Christ, he dies for them, and they have life. And so, congregation, there's a man as the Apostle Paul. And what's he say? I was once a blasphemer. I was once a persecutor. I was a violent man. But he says, I was showing mercy. Why? Because of God's grace, Christ died for me. And so here's a sinner that can rejoice in deliverance from God's anger. Here's a sinner that can look forward with Peter and the rest of the saints the day of Christ's return in glory, when there shall be no more tears of frustration because of the injustice that one has received. Can look forward because the day is coming when one can delight in perfection, in the redemption there is in Christ. Redemption, though it's so undeserved, that gives peace today already. So I've been hard done by. Yes. But Christ has died for my sins. and So one day he will come to set everything straight. And then there shall be no more tears, no more grief, no more pain, because I've been hard done by. That, beloved, is the gospel that Solomon impresses upon the people of Jerusalem of his day. And it's a gospel, we understand, that left no room for cynicism, no room for being discouraged, no room for self-pity, no room for feeling, I've been hard done by. Here's room only for rejoicing rejoicing because of what Christ does for the undeserving. But that means in turn that I don't have to busy my mind with how do I get even with the guy who hurt me. It's all God's departments. And that is why Peter can say what he says in 1 Peter 3, Finally, all of you, he says, live in harmony with one another. And do you really think that the people to whom Peter is writing were free of being victims of injustice? Come now. Nevertheless, he says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, for to this you've been called. Why? Christ has died, the righteous for the unrighteous. And where is this Christ now? Says the apostle, he's ascended into heaven. He's now at God's right hands with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This Christ is now judge of all. And he will execute justice just perfectly. There shall be righteousness in the land, because he is on the throne. The people standing in front of Solomon and listening to Solomon expound for their sake the gospel of Jesus Christ could go home in peace. In the words of Ecclesiastes 4, verse 6, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Why shall I run after more? I need more? Two handfuls? Says Solomon, one handful will do. Because Christ is the chief administrator of justice. Then one handful will do. For now, it gives peace, tranquility in your hearts. And when the chief administrator of justice comes back in the clouds of heaven, then he will give you two handfuls, four handfuls. Well done, good and faithful servants. Inherit with me the kingdom of God and we shall be kings with him. Their congregation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gives peace.